Blog Talk Radio. Marshall, can we just talk about this for one second? You rescued her. You raised her. You're not protecting her now. You are holding her back. One, don't you ever touch me again. Two, don't you ever touch me again. Now, you have no idea who the hell I am or where I've come from, and I'm not about to tell you my whole life story. All I need to be to you and everybody on this dome is a fixed point. The last man standing. I do not need your sympathy or your admiration. All I need is your compliance and your fighting skills. And if I can't get that, then you can go back to the wall that I found you crawling on. Do I make myself clear? Yes, sir. Good. You're traveling to another radio show. A broadcast not only of sight and sound, but of mind, mind. A journey into the wondrous land whose boundaries are that of the imagination. imagination. That's the on-air sign up ahead. Your next stop, Afro Nerd Radio. With your guides, Dee Bird, Captain Kirk, and on Grindhouse Saturdays, the uncanny Daryl D. Mind expansion engaged. Wednesday, and there's an awful lot of content that has to be disseminated, so with the spirits willing, it appears that we are live and direct today. Folks, welcome to the Weekend Review. I can't call it the Midweekend Review. The Weekend Review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk, DBA, a.k.a. Afro Nerd Radio. The call-in number even on a Friday, and pre-Black Comic Book Festival, courtesy of Schomburg, even on a Friday, the number remains the same, 646-915-9620, 646-915-9620. 
646-915-9620. Folks, the greats are leaving us. They're just leaving us. David Bowie left the building. And a thespian. I was going to say Alan Rickman thespian, but I forgot that David Bowie, he too was a thespian. But Alan Rickman, who's been all over the place as far as an actor, but you know him mostly from the Harry Potter franchise, both gentlemen from, from England, both dying at the same age, 69 years of age. So without further ado, let's go to a groove in homage to Mr. Bowie, and then we will unpack. We'll talk about these gentlemen and other things. We've got to talk about El Chapo and RZA, uh, just so much stuff going on. And, of course, we will talk about our appearance, our live appearance, tomorrow at the Schomburg Center for Black Research. So uh, going to a David Bowie groove, this is – let's go to something new because he has a, he just released his new album, Black Star, and we'll talk about that. This is Lazarus from that, from that album. We'll be right back.
don't you worry, more, more Bowie forthcoming. This is not the Midweek in Review, folks, but the Week in Review edition of AfroNerd featuring Captain Kirk. Uh, unfortunately, Wednesday's show was preempted because of technical difficulties, but the show must go on. It just had to go on two days later. Anyway, without further ado, let's get to the captain. Captain, you're needed on Rigel 4 by way of the ready room. Let's get to it. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Oh, my intro sounds so clean. It sounds so clean. It sounds so clean. I'll be terse here due to time constraints, nothing long-winded as I pontificate in my insidious, majestical way, 2016 will be the year where you see a lot, a lot, a lot more than usual, a lot, a lot of people just dropping dead like flies. That being said, also, too, Europe will continue to go down the path, according to the Daily Mail, not according to the captain, according to the Daily Mail. When you let cockroaches into your country, these are things that happen. What things that happen? The white woman is getting frazzled up all throughout Europe now according to the Daily Mail, due to the cockroaches. So we shall see. Let's go, Afro-nerd. Let's go. All right, uh, folks, again, a Friday, special Friday broadcast. And maybe it's apropos because tomorrow the crew, instead of having our normal Saturday show, we're going to be at a show, the fourth annual Black Comic Festival, courtesy of John Ira Jennings, um, we had this gentleman on a few weeks ago, and actually you can listen to that interview in the archives, and he also did a more recent interview with our companion show or colleague broadcasters, the Fan Bros. They're also on that show, so definitely check out Fan Bros uh, on their imprint on Google or simply go to SoundCloud and their most recent show, I believe one of their more recent shows, Mr. Jennings was being interviewed on that broadcast. Anyway, um, I'll get deeper into what we're going to do and expectations. I'm very excited. Um, I believe there's going to be some kind of video footage, and uh, I believe also uh, our stalwart supporter, Storm, from another colleague podcast, Podcast Juice, I think he's doing some recording as well. So I, I believe he was able to uh, collaborate with the folks, the good folks at the Schomburg Center. So it should be quite interesting. Uh, I will probably be in rare form. Folks, so be prepared. <laughs> I have a tendency to act like a fool publicly, so w- we will see. Anyway, let's talk about Mr. David Jones, aka David Bowie. David Bowie. Um, I-, I will say this: I, I, I was hit when I heard about his death. I always liked David Bowie. Um, very eccentric dude. Maybe, maybe I appreciate folks that have eccentricities. Uh, they know that I, my go-to go-to guy is Prince Rogers Nelson, and I think he kind of comes from that same, cut from a similar cloth, 
with artists that really were pushing agendas and extremely talented, a great deal of musicianship. They 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 were otherworldly, and um, you know you have to appreciate them when when they're here. Now the interesting thing about David David Bowie, and again his real name is actually David Robert Jones. When it comes down to this entertainment stuff, it was already a David Jones or a Davy Jones who also left this earth too soon. Davy Jones, you know him from the Monkees, the Monkees group, as well as the Monkees TV show, extremely popular show. And both these gentlemen came to prominence around the same time, and he too was also across the pond, the the other David Jones. Anyway, because of that that, that, uh, name issue, he took on the stage name David Bowie. Um, Mr. Bowie came into prominence during the late 60s, and you're talking about uh, a person that was part of a clan of, of... Londoners, UK artists, the English invasion is what they called it, or the British invasion, I should say, the British invasion. And we're still experiencing the British Asian, uh, British invasion if you really want to get into it. But in his case, um, you're talking about someone who had so many different looks and different styles and vibes. I mean, he came from, from so many different arenas when it came, when it comes down to musical musical agendas or musical musical uh creativity. We know him from uh Ziggy Stardust, the man who fell fell to the earth, um which was a film in nineteen seventy six. But from like let's say sixty eight to the early seventies, he brought in this whole notion of glam rock. And there you go with the Prince thing. Even though he was doing a different music, the whole notion of glam rock really comes from David Bowie. Um, Pressing up against the conventions of what men are supposed to look like. This is pre-Jaden Smith. (laughs) This is another reason why you think about David Bowie. And and folks may say, well, you know, why why are you less critical of David Bowie? And more critical of someone like Jaden Smith, is that maybe because we've seen this before, and maybe in the case of Jaden Smith, maybe looking at Mr. Bowie back then, you know, you, you, you could see that he, there was a musical thing attached to it, there was a great deal of talent, a great deal of influence. You know, I, I, I'm forgiving when it comes down to how you impact culture. And his, his cultural impact, just you, you can't discount that. You can't discount that. Um, so you had, you know, you, you had star, um, singles like, like Space Oddity and Starman. So you had a science fiction connection. Um, as I said, The Man Who Fell to Earth, that was in the mid-'70s. That was a science fiction thing. And he dabbled again, talking about someone who was a, a, a journeyman, a, a polymath, who, who could do do everything, play guitar, sing, write songs, was the ultimate collaborator, ultimate showman, and a great actor, actually. Uh, one of my favorite films that I believe I've mentioned on our broadcast before was The Prestige with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Uh, Chris Nolan was the, the director in that. So you literally Wolverine meets Batman, but that's just a, that's just a, a, a uber-geek thing. But... 
how cool is it to look at the prestige and you know it's David Bowie. That's the funny thing. David Bowie has that had that persona. So you're looking at the prestige, David Bowie, he just appears and he plays another one of my heroes, Nikola Tesla. Why not play why not David Bowie playing uh Nikola Tesla? So that there's a lot of reasons why uh I appreciate David Bowie. So you have a science fiction connection. You have um the, the androgyny and the glam rock deal. So even before Michael Jackson tapped into that, I mean the the whole lineage of of 80s the look of the 80s. All those bands with the the hair bands and and uh the androgynous look whether it's Michael or Prince or or Boy George and Culture Club, there's a whole host of acts across the pond and in the states whose lineage one could argue derives from what David Bowie was doing. Um, the funny thing about him is that you know I think he pushed the sexuality thing for records. There there've been um, rumors. I do remember famously that he said that he believed himself to be a closeted heterosexual, which is kind of funny. He 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 put out there that he was closeted heterosexual, and he was uh, again more famously married. He married twice, but he was married to Iman, the African model. Um, fabulous woman, and who doesn't who doesn't dig Iman? So everything this this gentleman did was kind of just kind of spectacular, otherworldly. Uh, heck, uh, my beloved Venture Brothers, the cartoon The Venture Brothers, they had a caricature of David Bowie. I, actually, I thought it was David Bowie, but I found, found out later on that it was someone who could do a spot-on impersonation of David Bowie. But the caricature of David Bowie, he played this, this um, shape-shifting spy on Venture Brothers. So there's so many things that this that this guy was really tapped into. Um he he was famously collaborated with Nile Rodgers for the for Let's Dance. Uh Fame was of course the the, the hit Fame which we'll, we'll play later on. Fame was it was a, a big hit. He had plenty of hits, a lot of super tours. Um just a completely mystical figure. And even in death, he, he he died on his birthday. I'm sorry, two days after his birthday, pardon me. Died two days after his birthday. He, he was born January 47. He died January 10th. And he released his album on his birthday. And even the the video, I think the, the last video from the song I just played, Lazarus, there's a, a haunting video where he has his eyes kind of covered, you could tell that he's he, he's he's dying in real time, and he's doing he's still being that artful guy from his bed. So, it, and then when he says "I'm in heaven," the opening lyric from that song, I mean, the guy was pushing envelopes till the last breath, literally, literally. And one last thing. I'm going to play a clip of Mr. Bowie. Uh, this is from the Young Young Turks, and they're also waxing about Mr. Bowie. 
and they're talking about something that I was unaware of. I, I actually, you know, I played Bowie on the show before because David Bowie has actually collaborated with the legendary Luther Vandross. So he's he's tapped into he was tapped into soul artists, even though he was doing pop and and, and um, rock music. He he's all over the map when it came down to his musical palette. And I believe he's one of the few, one of the few artists that actually played or appeared on Soul Train. So David Bowie, and I think I think Elton John appeared on Soul Train, I believe. But I know for sure David Bowie bears that distinction of being, I think, maybe the first artist, the first white artist to appear on Soul Train, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, um, if you couldn't respect Bowie anymore, there is a interview, a rather provocative interview, and a confrontational interview of Mr. Bowie on MTV. There was a point in the early 80s. It's funny to think about MTV now. I mean, MTV barely plays music videos. I mean, it's called music television. But they barely play videos, and that was their bread and butter in the uh, 80s, early 80s. But at that point, they seemed to have some kind of deal with playing black artists. They just did not play black artists. It was Prince and Michael Jackson broke that barrier. But for the most part, they didn't play black artists. And there was a whole bunch of hemming and hawing, and uh, we still seem to be channeling that with the, the revelations from this year's Oscar Awards, ironically. So this doesn't, this doesn't appear to be changing. But anyway, I want to play this clip from the Young Turks, and it's waxing about this deal with David Bowie and how much of a stand-up guy he, he was, uh, confronting MTV for their uh, deal with not playing black artists. So hold on. So back in 1982, David Bowie was being interviewed by someone at MTV, and he noticed something a little strange about MTV. Even though there were a number of very talented black artists out there, they didn't get, a much, they didn't get much airtime on MTV. So Bowie decided to call that out while talking to Mark Goodman, who was one of the higher-ups within uh, MTV. Okay? So here's what happened. David Bowie asked him, why are there practically no blacks on the networks? And Mark Goodman replied, we seem to be doing music that fits into what we want to play on MTV. The company is thinking in terms of narrow casting. Okay, already that sounds disastrous. It's about to get much worse. Yes. So Bowie responds, there seem to be a lot of black artists making very good videos that I'm surprised aren't being used on MTV. Goodman replies, we have to try to do what we think not only New York and Los Angeles will appreciate, but also uh, Poughkeepsie and the Midwest. Pick some town in the Midwest which would be scared to death by a string of other black faces or black music. We have to play music we think an entire country is going to like, and certainly we're a rock and roll station. That wasn't good enough for Bowie. He responded by saying, don't you think it's a frightening predicament to be in? And Goodman says, yeah, but no less so than in radio. Bowie said, don't say, well, it's not me, it's them. Is it not possible it should be a conviction of the station and of the radio stations, to be fair, to make the media more integrated? Awesome. Well, that's back in 1982. MTV is a huge player, even back then. And so an artist might think, like, wait, 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 this is important to my career. I better not mess with the hand that's feeding me, yeah. right? And instead, he comes out and says, no, I'm going to call you to the carpet. 
right? You've got all these great black artists, and you're not playing any of them. And the guy admits it. See, and he even did a follow-up question. Even yeah. though he's the one doing the interviewing, he did an excellent act of journalism there where he wouldn't let it go. And then he said to him, look, it's also on you. Don't make this like, hey, everybody else jumped off the bridge, right? I love it. Right. And he got him to admit, yeah, we're not playing the black artists. And because of this thing, and by the way, I heard that decades later, you know, when I was part of a cable thing, I've told this story before, uh, not, not MSNBC, when I was a writer at another cable station, mm -hmm. um, and they said, well, we have to pick hosts that are acceptable to the Midwest. And they said about Ben, who was up for one of the spots, who, and it's crazy. I'm in the room. I'm one of the writers. Ben is one of my best friends. And they say, well, he has too much of a New York intellectual look. Okay. Now, the guy who said that was also Jewish. Yeah. Okay. But it doesn't make it any better. And so this insane stereotype and, and discrimination has been going on in, 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 in the media industry, unfortunately, for so long. And Midwest is a code word for we're picking white people here. Yes, that's exactly right. But you know what? To be fair to MTV, they did right their wrongs. They just don't play any music videos at all anymore. So they're just discriminating <laughs> against all artists. <laughs> so, yeah, MTV might, might be a little dated. But David yeah. Bowie, apparently timeless. All right, we're back uh, again. That was courtesy of the Young Turks uh, waxing about David Bowie. I thought they would have had the actual, uh, and my apologies, there, there, there is actually the actual audio, the, the, the inter interview that they're referencing that is out there. So you're actually able to, you know, they kind of read the transcripts, but um, I was unaware of David Bowie confronting MTV that way. So, you know, when you, when you see how he was dead on he wasn't letting it go and from his position he didn't have to do that i mean you know david bowie's a, a you know a top flight artist and listen we see entertainers now that aren't risking and there's another word i'd rather use but they're not they're not risking crap when it comes down to morality and doing the right thing and being honorable i mean listen i'm sure there's a few i don't want to just put a, a blanket umbrella over everyone, but I but I would say there's a fair share of commercial artists that are not going to take the risks musically or professionally or morally when it comes down to certain things. I and mean, we have we have almost almost the entirety of the hip hop hip hop community that you see repeatedly calling well you know what I'm gonna I'm not even gonna go the, into the spiel because I, I I say it so much but we're not seeing even our black artists coming to the forefront for certain issues, social issues that are affecting and are afflicting and are afflicting the black community. So, I mean, he's a stand-up guy, so he's sorely missed. Um, and it just started, it just made me realize that I wasn't a number one fan of David Bowie, but because I'm so much into music that I started realizing, wow, I do have my fair share of David Bowie, David Bowie albums. So, uh, I was still getting his stuff because I appreciate people that can really press envelopes. And, it's, and that's what, why I lament music today. Even though I do my fair share of, of research and the captain and everybody, uh, uh, Daryl especially, all of us do our fair share of research. But it seemed to be, I don't know, more communal when you had record stores. You could actually go into a record store and talk to people, uh, even in a college setting. You know, folks would talk about music and 
these people were the real deal. And when you when you hear, and I don't want to just take a dump on millennials, Captain, but the folks that they that they that they're into, the ones that are commercial that they're into, they don't really have it. So that's why I have to look at them with a cross eye. And, and you know, Jaden Smith wears a dress. I don't really see the, see the talent. If you're gonna do that. I'm not really a supporter of it, but if you're going to do that, you better have some talent to back it up. And we've already been there. That's another thing. Maybe we've been there, so I'm looking at, okay, what are you, what are you really saying here? Cap, any, any uh, thoughts about the passing of David Bowie? And then we'll talk about uh, another tragic loss, another Englander, same age, and also cancer. All right, now, here's the thing. Here's the elephant in the room for those black purists, and also the younger generation. Why are we talking about this white man on a show called AfroNerd? AfroNerd hinted to this. He hinted about it. Now I'm going to go a little more direct. difference being is when we came up, we didn't listen to one or two types of music. It was an eclectic mix. So you had a lot of influence, a lot of influence from different directions different directions, and we came up during a time where in school you had music appreciation, you had where they were actually teaching you how to read music. This was done in school. This was done in public school and also private schools. You can still get it in, in private schools now today too also, but those of you that went to private school during the time, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Later on, they started pulling this stuff out of the schools and then things begin to change. So you had an eclectic mix. Of course, you listen to jazz. Of course, you listen to, you know, R&B. You listen to rock. You listen to all this different type of music. And David Bowie was just another person, part of the influence that brings us here. So a lot of times when the older person is talking about music, they have a wide spectrum. The younger person doesn't. A lot of times you're listening to one or two type, types of music, and that's it. That's what you're going. We listen to probably 10 types of music, even a little bit of classical. We got that, too, coming up. So it's a total eclectic mix shaping you. And also, because things are eclectic, you take what you want, and then you, take, you leave the rest alone. It also gives you a different type of thinking, believe it or not, via the music. Some of you might not believe that, but this is the case. So this is why we're going in with David Bowie from this standpoint. Now, he's had some very good music, 1975, Hit Fame, Under Pressure, 1981, 1983, Let's Dance, that album. Real good music, this man. Real good music. But it was an eclectic time. You'll listen to him, and then later on in the, in the 80s, you'll listen to someone like Rakim. All right? You can listen to also the Gap Band before. doesn't matter. This is what we did. So it's an entirely different mix, a different gumbo, chicken soup. We got chicken soup, we got pea soup, tomato soup, everything. And you switch it accordingly to the day. Back over to you, Sir Afflenard. Yeah, you know, it's funny you should mention that, Cap, and I appreciate you, you said it that way, because I, I was hinting at it, and I, I don't think about, well, what, you know, it, it's a fair, um, it, it's, it's a fair uh, analysis on your part with what you just said, that, uh, well, Someone listening may say, well, this show is called Afro Nerd. Why am I talking about David Bowie? But the whole 
premise of an Afro-nerd or blurredism, which is something that I will bring up tomorrow if I get an opportunity, is that, you know, I go through these pangs, and I call you up, I call up uh, other friends and associates, uh, I speak to my father, um, you know, I speak to all kinds of people, and it's, a lot of it is my personal angst or pangs uh, of dealing with what passes for blackness now. I, I find myself constantly, this is me being a bit more... Um, uh, revelatory. Um, I, I find myself having difficulties just dealing with black people in general, but black folks, some black folks, not all, some black people that kind of have a stilted way of looking at things. It, it's 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 very surface level, and this is people in general. But let's say acutely some of the black people that I that I encounter. But you know, this is a, across the board, really. But when it comes to black folks, especially. Some of us are su- suffer from not having eclectic tastes and just perceiving things only in a narrow, quote-unquote, black way. And, and, that bla- and that black way is the way. When we talk about diversity tomorrow, you know, there's this whole diversity initiative that's going on, especially in pop culture. We're hearing things going on with the Oscars, and we, we spoke about it last year, and now the, the drumbeat is getting louder. Now, um, Mayor de Blasio and his wife, for obvious reasons, which makes this even more funny, for obvious reasons, even, even our mayor is saying, okay, cut the crap. And I'd rather say another word, but this is a PG program. Cut the crap with this Oscar business. But I, I don't really care about the Oscars. I mean, I find it interesting that people still seem to care about, they seem to have this need for masses approval. I don't really care about masses approval. I don't, I don't expect it, really. But um, hip hip hop, gold age hip hop, especially Captain, relied heavily on sampling rock records. So major rock, pardon me, major hip hop hits had David Bowie samples in it. How could you not appreciate David Bowie just just on that level? You know, real DJs, real DJs listen to all kinds of stuff. Because they, many of these DJs came from musical backgrounds. You know, uh, uh, myself and, of course, your predecessor, Iron Man, we were in a high school band. We learned to read music. So, and we had music appreciation courses in grade school where we had to sit down and listen to Bach and Beethoven. I mean, at the time... You might have you might have give you know rolled your eyes, but even if you rolled your eyes at eight, you don't you didn't forget it. Somehow, just the exposure meant something. So, um, when you had Frankie Crocker again, being New Yorkers, the legendary legendary disc jockey Frankie Crocker, he 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 would bring records from the UK and play them on. American radio. There was always this challenging, a challenge to the to the audience. They're not challenging audiences now. That just that's just unheard of. But you know, he he would break a song like another one bites the dust. He would break Queen, and Queen was of course Freddie Mercury was a close collaborator of David Bowie, incidentally. But just the fact that that what was going on when you talk about how Generation X and Generation preceding that, but let's say Generation X specifically, that was what we were all about. 
you know, you were you just were exposed to this stuff. This stuff was just around you. David Bowie music. If you went if you went into a um, into a mall or if you were involved in some kind of summer camp situation, and I we went I went to parochial school, so you're not gonna you're not going to escape someone someone's parent or someone playing David Bowie in the background. There's no way. It just it just absorb it. This, this, I find myself liking things more directly now as an adult only because I was exposed to it at some point when I was a kid just on a real on, on a real ethereal level. That's what makes it really interesting as to, as to how I'm not a parent, but I can see how it, it, is, it is imperative that even if a kid does not like something or a young person does not like something, to hear it, though, because then it becomes a part of that child's experience. So some of the things that I didn't necessarily like or just heard as, as, as background noise, now it, it, it triggers a memory, and you, you, you just love it. So anyway... I could go on and on and talk about David Bowie. It's, it's, it's his, his, his connection to science fiction. Uh, he married one of the most beautiful women of color the world has ever known, Iman, unquestionably. Uh, extremely beautiful woman from Africa, um, Ethiopian. So, I mean, the guy was a thin white duke. I mean, he, 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 if you see the performance, I'll say one last thing. If you see the performance of his appearance on Soul Train, again, very fair-complected gentleman, the thin white duke. The the drop beat to fame, and how he he kind of just saunters out. He saunters out, and then the audience is like a black audience is already like, all right, all right now. This little thing, little subtleties like that, is that coolness that transcends everything. And I don't see. And I've I've talked about this before, Captain. I don't see cool anymore. Not really. There's very few people that have tapped into cool. And mind you, if you look up cool and do the research, cool as a terminology, as a as a methodology, metaphysical uh, connection to cool, like what is coolness? Coolness is actually an African thing. The concept of cool, meaning um, having cool, coolness, and I, I know I'm going into this OCD thing, Coolness, as we know it, is aloof, aloofness with um, acuity. That's what coolness means. Coolness, is like Barack Obama or Miles Davis or Prince, it, it gives the it makes people it gives the impression of proficiency while being aloof. That is one of the definitions off the top of my head of coolness. Prince does what he does. So matter-of-factly that it comes off cool. Michael Jordan, tongue-wagging, playing basketball, making certain Michael Jordan moves, or Dr. J, Miles Davis with his back turned, uh, David Bowie sauntering on stage, Jack Nicholson lowering down his Ray-Bans. There's certain cues that coolness, you know, engenders that means I got this but I'm aloof about it. I don't see that. Kanye West, I got the answers, Sway. That's not cool. Sorry. Not cool. Anyway, I can go on and on. 
let me talk about Mr. Alan Rickman. I, that that hit me as hit me hard too because um, I'm not the biggest Harry Potter fan, but I I do have the box set, so I can't say that I'm that that I'm not a fan. I'm just not the biggest fan, but I, I always was um, very conscious of Mr. Rickman's talent, and I always appreciate someone. I always appreciate a working actor that's been able to go do, do, perform in different venues, um, play, be, be displayed in different films. And, uh, you know, if you could do, you could do a franchise film, then you could do something like Alice Through the Looking Glass, which is forthcoming. Um, I remember him from the, the uh, Galaxy Quest parody, which I think they're digging into. They're going back into that. So, uh, Sense and Sensibility, I mean, he was one of those guys, uh, not really a leading actor, but these character actor guys are more interesting. They, they to me, have a more fascinating career. You know, the, the leading man, you know, he's, 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 he's the, the front man. But the quirky dude is the person that I look at. So, uh, I know he's a, a member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. Again, he he was uh, nominated for a Tony Award. I know he was, he was connected. He was Hans Gruber for Christ's sake. But I'm just thinking. I'm, I'm speaking extemporaneously, folks. He was Hans Gruber in the Die Hard movie. Uh, Snape, of course, from Harry Potter. So I mean, again, we have another Londoner. He passes because of pancreatic cancer. David Bowie because of liver cancer. Both 69 and 69 nowadays. Considering how these guys look, I didn't see them. You know looking ill, but they look to be very much alive. And, you know, the fact that Rickman was connected to so many franchises, um, wow, I mean, he was even in, I believe he was with uh, Most Death, he was in Most Death with uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that was out a few years ago. Uh, We know him for the Harry Potter series. Um, uh, Heck, he was even in Sweeney Todd, briefly, I think that was the Johnny Depp film, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he's been all over the place. Um, just with a heavy heart, man. Uh, and again, you know, the fact that he was in Die Hard, which was kind of just a kind of a, I don't know, is that an unforgettable villain. You know, but he, that was the first Die Hard, so you're not going to forget that. And Die Hard's another franchise that's been around forever. Um, just another great actor that's no longer with us. So just shocking. I'm just shocked that these these high profile guys are gone. So. You know, listen, their, their work will remain with us. Um, that's a good thing. But uh, I hate to see anyone that I actually like and, and like their work and dig, dig their creativity. Um, and I, the irony is that they were the same age and from, from England. Uh, and, you know, folks know I'm, I'm a big, big Anglophile. I'm just very, uh, very saddened that these young men, well, in my mind, they're young, but they're closing on 70. But still, not nowadays, nowadays, you know, folks expect you to kind of hang in there. So... Uh, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate. Folks, this is not the Midweek in Review, but the Week in Review. Our apologies for Wednesday's show. And I was listening to Q Stormy say, you know, you guys got to get off of a blog talk, and he may be on to something. Uh, most certainly we would rather be on a, in another venue. And, but, you know, even 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 serious in some of these other um, high-flight, top-flight studios, they have issues too. I mean, you know, you, you deal with this technology, there's no guarantee, but – Blog talk seems to have just uh, uh, unwavering issues. So, 
we may be searching for another another place, but I, I want to make sure that, that we have all the bells and whistles and we can do our thing. So it is what it is. Uh, more Bowie, and then I also want to also mix it up. Um, but I could play Bowie all day, honestly, but I'm going to play one more Bowie cut. Um, his One of his known cuts, obviously. Uh, a remix. I got to keep the kitties involved, but it's not too 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 much of a sway from the original. This is fame. What else? We'll be right back. David Bowie, fame.
One of his monster hits, folks, again, David Jones, a.k.a. David Bowie, has left the building. Fame, fame, fame remix. This is not the midweek, but the weekend review edition of Afro Nerd Radio. The call-in number remains the same, different day, 646-915-9620. Again, 646-915-9620. You know, uh, Cap, I want to mix it up a little bit. Um, I had intentions, and I will talk about it. I, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Sean Penn and the, the El Chapo madness, Joaquin Guzman. Uh, that's a pretty interesting story, and we can, you know, theorize as, as to what's going to happen to Mr. Penn and the uh, lovely actress that I think is connected to Chapo that, that initiated this Rolling Stones interview, and we'll get into that. But I do want to talk about tomorrow's event. I'm extremely excited. I've mentioned this a few times on the show that there's a there's a calendar of sorts for Afro Nerd for the Afro Nerd Machine, where we highlight certain events that we just dig. Of course, there's New York Comic Con. That's always a big thing. There's Afro Punk. That's a big thing. Um, normally, we have our Afro Nerd. Uh, Super Bowl party. I got to speak to to the captain as to how that's going to go. I think the captain will be unavailable, but I think we might still do something. And then there's now this fourth annual Black Comic Festival. Uh, We were fortunate enough, as I mentioned at the top of the show, to interview John Ira Jennings, who is one of the the folks that's actually behind it. I mean, it's his baby, but there, there are other partners that are involved with this enterprise, this project, this event, at the Schomburg, the weekend, and, and appropriately so, the weekend, every weekend of, I'm sorry, every year for the weekend of Dr. King's birthday, pardon me. So uh, as of last year, though, just to show you how popular this thing has become, it, it was expanded as of last year to a West Coast and an East Coast event. So that just goes, just goes to show you how these things uh, are, are ending, ending up to be, how they're turning out with the popularity. So I, I can just assume that as the years go on, this thing's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I'm even sensing a kind of frenzy. I don't know, Captain, are you sensing, I don't know if you're paying attention to Twitter, but I'm, my Twitter feed is like blowing up with constant retweets about this Schomburg thing. Have you, are you getting a sense that this thing might be a, a, a bit more, you know, just more extravagant or, or, or more expectations for for this well, year than even last year? There's something in the well, air to me. Well, the thing is, well, definitely via Twitter and other forms of social media, a lot of people didn't know about it. You see? So, so you have more people in the machine, in the grease, in the spokes of the wheel now, that know about it. That's what's happening now, and that's what has to be done. That's what has to be done. Last year, a lot of people just didn't know about it, even after the fact, oh, we actually have that? (laughs) Look how many people gave us that type of response. There's actually one of those, and those same people know about it this year. So we'll see what happens with this. It should be interesting. Back to you, Afrolert. Yeah, well, you know, I'm going to have to make appeals to Mr. Jennings tomorrow because I have some ideas, and, you know, um, listen, hey, I I think there needs to be a a headquarters, uh, a web quarters for Black Comic Con or the Black Comic Festival. I mean, I think that that's something that might have to be explored. And uh, hell, you know, I uh, had a quick Twitter conversation with 
with DMC, famed DMC of Run DMC, and we should be getting him getting him on at some point. Um, I just have to uh, confirm a date, but he was willing to come in and, and talk about his projects. And uh, the reason why I was able to connect with him is because I sent out a tweet saying, "Hey, man, you know you're pushing this Daryl makes comics. You know we know him normally as devastating Mike controller, but he's also Daryl makes comics. So." I mean, it's cool to be about the New York Comic Con or even the San Diego Comic Con, but this black thing has got to—it's got to work, you know. And and I, I uh, ha- have been a secret acolyte for the Black Comic Con deal when I'm at New York Comic Con. I'm I'm seeing folks of color, and I, I actually I don't necessarily want to ha- have to just speak to black people. I mean, any, anyone is welcome. I mean, we we saw smatterings of white and other ethnicities going to black Comic-Con. And interestingly enough, you know, Harlem is about culture. You know, uh, I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, this is the the Schomburg Center for Research and Black Culture. I mean, that's what it's called. And you're going to have people who are are just about culture. And, And, you know, controversially, Harlem over the last 20 years has been gentrified and there's definitely a more uh, multiracial—I uh, shouldn't even say multiracial—more white presence in in Harlem, and you're going to see white folks who have an interest in black culture show up to this thing. Now, I, I remember seeing a smattering of white folks at the black at, at the Black Comic Festival, but you know, while at New York Comic Con, and uh, Q Storm can attest to this, he was there. Uh, there were whites in attendance, not just folks from the creative end, but there, there were whites that were in attendance at black panels at New York Comic Con because they're just interested in this culture. They're interested in good stories. I think one of the one of the discussions, one of the uh, com- one of the panels that I was on, I think it was uh, from Black Panther. From uh, what was it? I think it might have been something like from Whitewash. Because Whitewash was one of those derogatory 1940s Golden Age um, black caricature characters. So I think it was from Whitewash, White Face. I think it was White from White Face. Although Whitewash was a you know a derogatory character from White from White Face to Black Panther. That was one of the one of the um, panels at New York Comic Con, and one of the discussants had said that no. At the at the bottom part of this, I like good stories. Now, if you're a, if you're a comic book dude or dudette, you don't really care about or you you know. Listen, everybody has their own racial agenda, whatever you want to call that. But if you're not coming from that space, Captain, you just want to read a good story. Period. The Christopher Priest run of the Black Panther more than a decade ago, was just a good run. It was just a good story. I uh, I remember having a conversation with a, a, a young white cat at a comic shop, um, and he proceeded to tell me, and I really, didn't, I really don't know the milestone history as well as I should, the characterizations, I should say. He was a big milestone fan. He could go into detail about the milestone books. So that's 
kind of where we should be, that the products that we are pushing certainly are for black folks, but they're really for everyone. You know, um, I'm pretty sure that the purveyors of, of Little Italy or Chinatown, that they're not just looking for Italian and Chinese dollars. Oh, no, most certainly not. So that's another thing I, I would like to bring up at this festival is, you know, this is about the promotion of, of black wares, black culture. This is a, another alternative thing that we need to be about, and we gotta we got to kind of throw out the minstrels, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to do my minstrel shtick, shtick, pardon me. I'm going to do my minstrel shtick on stage and say, you know, enough already. Throw out the clowns, man. So I'm looking forward to, to the event. But, um, again, folks, it's what is it, the, the, the actual uh, time, Captain? Is it from 10 to 7, something to that effect? Do you recollect the time, the time frame? I believe it's 10 to 6. 10 to 6. They mm-hmm. mentioned something about 7.15 for, like, their panel, though. <laughs> you know, they, I don't know. They, they might have something else when it comes to the I – heard, I heard some stuff. You know what I mean? At our time, uh, what is it, 2.45 for us, right, on, on stage? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you know, it'll be cool. I mean, I, I just want, I'm just glad to be there. I'm glad to participate, and I'm going to give Mr. Jennings his due and say, you know, listen, man, that's number one. We've got to be happy to be here. <laughs> Let's just be happy that there's such a thing as a black comic festival. You know, so uh, tomorrow, January 16th, Schomburg Center. Check us out if you can. If you are in the Tri-State area, you may want to check it out. Uh, hell, it's a black Comic-Con, for Christ's sake. Need I say more? All right. Anyway, um, let's talk about this, this Sean Penn, Chapo Guzman connection. You know, I, I really didn't think that much about it at first, um, but I, I can extrapolate a, uh, extrapolate a lot of things from, from what, what went down here. I, I think... Did I mention to you, Captain, just just briefly about the cult of personality referencing Vernon Reed? Did I mention that to you? I'm just kind of channeling some of my. Uh, no, no, you didn't. Channeling. You didn't mention it. I, I I didn't. No. I thought I mentioned that in the gym. That I thought that this was this was uh, an evidence that celebrities run the show. Maybe I didn't. Maybe I, maybe I meant to say that to you. Anyway, for those who, for those who have been living under a rock, you know El Chapo, um, the the, the uh, Mexican drug lord. You know he has a, a rather prolific criminal career, and and most famously he's been he's been maybe at least three times this guy has been captured and on the run. But he's he's literally a billionaire. I mean I think he has even more money than Donald Trump, and this is just underground money. So, you know, not to go not to go into too much detail about Mr. Guzman cuz I'm just not about that. Um you know, Sean Penn, the actor, and he's 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 an actor of, of vast talent. I can't take anything away from him. But he's been he's been known to be somewhat of a tough guy and very confrontational and you know, he's got he's got a I don't know if that dude is bipolar. <laughs> I'm not saying he is, but you know, he he you don't hear about it as much now, but in the 80s, he was the – he and um, famously confrontational with paparazzi. And 
Sean Penn was known for, you know, if you got in his face, he would punch you or do something, you know, something violent. Uh, I know there was allegations that he kidnapped Madonna when he was married to her. Um, but, you know, that's going on. But at the same time, there's that, there's that talent that he could just play anything. So he's one of, the, one of the top flight actors, definitely. He's one of those go-to guys. But he also has this thing about being, uh, maybe when you reference self-importance, maybe something about that is working its way in this discussion, Captain, because you have someone who is, who is really, you know, you're an actor. But he, he tends to do this, this world savior thing. You know, when Haiti, when Haiti was, having, was having problems, he was in Haiti. You know, he, he travels internationally and interjects himself into certain things. Uh, you know, when it was um, uh, Katrina, I don't, know if I, can, I don't know if I can hate on that, but it was, it was very odd. But I guess maybe it's the right thing. You know, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what to say or how to take it, but I remember, wasn't he, was he on a boat with a shotgun? He just, just jumped up and went, went to Katrina, went to Louisiana to help out, but to also kind of regulate things. Do you remember that, Captain? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like to get it I mean, in. That, that's kind of, you, know, you, you, you know, you don't know how to take that. I mean, you, you know, on the surface, it seems to be very much about being a human, humanitarian, but you could also think that might just be ego, that this guy has to interject himself in everything. So, But then again, you know, we're talking about a, a really tragic situation when it came down to uh, Katrina um, but, you know, if it's not Katrina, if it's not Haiti, now you're setting up clandestine interviews with Mexican starlets for Rolling Stone <laughs> with with drug lords. So that's essentially what happened. Uh, he sets up this, this interview. I have yet to, to read this interview, but I'm hearing the interview is really not, a, not about much, that it was just kind of... Maybe I heard it might have been more about Sean Penn than about El Chapo, just, and maybe that's what it's all about, isn't it? I, I don't know what to think, but I do know that um, the authorities now want to question Sean Penn because you know, we're, we're, you know, you you found you found El Chapo before the authorities did. Let's think about that. An actor was able to to, to track down El Chapo before armies. Mexican Mexican armies and uh, you know international police forces they couldn't find it but Sean Penn bad boy Sean Penn from the bad boys that that 80s film with uh, Esai Morales if I remember correctly I mean this he, he's Superman and it's been a running joke but now I may I may have to consider it there's been a I remember hearing a joke a few years ago I forgot who said it someone famous or some comedian had had posed out there that maybe you know to, to rectify the Middle East or to rectify the world problems. Yeah, I, I know I know what it is now. Send Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt to like the Middle East. And I think that might have happened actually. But that that that's what people have put out there that these celebrities have so much power. And that's why I mentioned the cult of personality. That 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 one of my favorite songs from Living Color. That that's a, if you saw the video, that's what that is. That's what it's about. A personality, and, and even, I mean, hell, you had, you had um, Rodman hanging with Little Kim, 
two years ago, given the world treatment. And Rodman is clearly a fool. But he had sway with a dictator. I mean, entertainers just have a lot of, they elicit a lot of power. And that's why, you know, you, you can't, you can't send um, Robert Blake to jail. <laughs> you can't send OJ to jail. You might not be able to send Dr. Cosby to jail. Um, that might be the only place where a black man might be able to wiggle his way. Uh, even Michael Jackson. Uh, and then we can think of a whole host of other celebrities um, that have been able to, you know, I think one of the more famous cases was... Um, uh, what, what I'm thinking about the child actor from the 30s. Uh, it'll come to me in a moment, but um, was it Fatty Arbuckle? i got to think about it now. Now it's, it's it debates me. There's a child actor that was accused of murder, and this is back to the 30s. Uh, no, it wasn't a child actor. I think it was I think it was Fatty Arbuckle, was a comedian, that was up on charges, and uh, he was able. He was never the same as far as able to, being able to. Um, regain his career, but I, you know, I'm just kind of going off of a, of a on a on a tangent. But the bottom line is, you see, yeah, I think yeah, Fatty Arbuckle. It seems like my my ginseng is actually working. Yeah, um, yeah, silent film actor, comedian, and he, there was a scandal about him killing someone, and he was able to extricate. It was another. It was an actress. He killed this woman allegedly, and he was able to to kind of get out of it. Thirties. And this is during the point of, um, you know, this is this is this is not this is early Hollywood. This is silent film era Hollywood. But that that thing, that thing about fame and stardom. And this is pre Instagram, Captain. And Fatty was able to get away with this. So to, to see someone like Sean Penn elicit an interview with a man who's on the run. And that, that's another thing too. That there might be, I don't, you know, aren't there some kind of uh, aiding and abetting potential charges coming out of something like this for some for someone to be able to elicit that kind of interview? Did you hear anything about this? I don't. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but what do you know? We'll move along. But what what are your thoughts? I wanted to, wanted to throw it out there. But what are your thoughts about? I don't know. Something about it just bothered me. That you know, what this is. This is way too much power. Okay, so I'll give you my opinion. It's my opinion on this. That's exactly what it is. Just an opinion. And those listening, you will have an opinion also. Well, according to the reports, they said that El Chapo didn't know Sean Penn, but he knew Kate Del Castillo, the Mexican actress, actress mm-hmm. who knew Sean Penn very well. So because of that, he was able to broker the deal. Now let's go with self-importance, aspect of self-importance. <laughs> In mathematics, they call this mirror symmetry. Humans, as per rule, as per rule, there'll be some exceptions. I'll tell you about that later. But as per rule, you see reality through your self-image. You don't see reality as it's how it's really happening. Hence, a highly educated black person will not be able to understand why a person who's, who keep, keeps going back to jail can't really understand that. Simply put, not to go off on a tangent, but it's tangentially related. You get the felony and I remove your support system, you're not going to work in state, federal, and city jobs, and you're not going to work in private industry. 
There you go. And you do not have the support system. Most of these guys do not have a father. There you go. Chances are you're going back to jail. Real easy. But when you look through the lens of self-importance, you can't see that. So you question yourself with these type of things. Now, you look at someone like him, El Chapo. Come on, El Chapo. You're a drug dealer. What are you doing interviews for? But you're so self-important, you think you could just be a celebrity like a lot of these guys. Let's go further down the list. Pablo Escobar. Look at his story. Watch Narcos. Watch Narcos on Netflix. If you don't watch Narcos, you're not doing anything. You're just wasting your life. Do something for your life. Watch Narcos. Pablo Escobar, same thing. He wanted to run for Congress and everything else in Colombia. You're a drug dealer. Stop it, you self-important prick. Teflon Don, John Gotti, with his haircuts every day and everything else running around, wanting to be seen. They want to be movie stars. They want to be these guys. So self-importance at the end of the day screws them over. Something that I said before, as you raise power levels, your self-importance will make you Ronda Rousey, or in turn, it can kill you unless you could safeguard it or get rid of your self-importance because of what humans do. And mathematics is known in mirror symmetry, known as mirror symmetry. You look through reality through the lens of yourself, so you really don't see reality as it's happening. You're going to tell me Chapo, El Chapo sees reality as it's happening? You're a drug dealer. That's it. Nothing more to talk about. So there you have it. So we'll see what happens with Mr. Sean Penn because he's a self-important prick too because as he says, well, this interview was more or less not about El Chapo. It was about showing that, you know, these guys are not the problem. Look how many drug users that we have here in America. We stop the drug use, these guys begin to die. Interesting point. But who says it's for you to come and go do it? And then the journalists all got mad at him and say, how does he get a story like that? Another bunch of self-important pricks. So you see this going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, forth and back. So we'll see what happens with this as it plays out over a period of time. Back to you, Afro-Nerd. i got to mention one other thing I found fascinating as well. When they actually caught El Chapo, and there was a, a firefight that preceded, and I believe he was hurt um, in, in this gun raid, that it, it's it's amazing how, Chapo wasn't able to actually escape even during the gun raid because it appears everywhere this guy lives, he has underground passages. That I mean, they show that this guy had some something that was waterlogged and some kind of some kind of steel door, and you had to go underneath the house and this maze that would have, that if something went down under normal circumstances, he would have been allowed to. To, to, to escape through tunnels in this abode. So all he does is literally live in in, in underground circumstances. And I said, now with all the money that you have, you can't even you can't even really live like a normal person. Like, what is it? What does it all mean? I mean, it's, you know, it's like you you can you have some influence and yet you don't have control over your own life, and a lot of death is around you. I mean, it's it's a it's a horrible way to live. A lot of deaths follows uh this allegedly or purportedly follows this this guy i mean he he's he's responsible for this this major drug operation and again it's got to be major when you're talking about someone who's been able to amass billions and i'm pretty sure that you know the 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 precedent has been set that he will escape again unless he is successfully extradited into the states there's talk about him actually coming our way captain that they're trying to get him tried in New York. So we will see if that happens. Um, 
I just find it interesting. You got to see the the YouTube clip of yet another one of his abodes that has this this underground situation, underground maze that he's he's able to create. And it, again, you're talking about engineering people who just kind of know how to do this. Well, again, you got a billion dollars. I guess you could you could make a maze on your house. Obviously. Um, moving things along again, folks. If you haven't guessed it, this is the Week in Review edition of Afro Nerd Radio, DBA, aka Afro Nerd, featuring Captain Kirk. The call-in number remains the same, even though it is a Friday. The Week in Review, six four six nine one five nine six two zero. Again, six four six nine one five nine six two zero. I want to mention this one thing, and then we're going to go to another group. I think we might. Uh, lay off of Bowie, and then go back to Bowie. I think we might close out with some David Bowie. Um, did you? No, you didn't send this to me. Another colleague sent this to me, and I'm obsessed with it. And I think I did send it to you. This E-Hang 184, some tech tech discussion here. It's, again, this is Afro Radio. There's this this drone this personal passenger drone. I didn't even think about this, Captain. I don't know why. Usually I can stretch my mind and, and see how things can, can, can kind of proceed and how things, how things can uh, go from point A to point Z. I don't know why I didn't think about Think of this. It's hot. It's hot. But, <laughs> yes. It, it, you know, it's, it, makes me, it makes me wonder. Well, again, we've got to consider a couple of things. We know that there is a, a drone phenomenon. We know drones for war. Uh, Barack Obama knows drones quite well. <laughs> He's droning the hell out of the Middle East. But then we have these, these little drones that are essentially remote control aerial, aerial uh, vehicles. But I didn't think... I don't know why I didn't think that there could be a human-sized version of a drone. I mean, human-sized manned drone. We've seen unmanned drones of, of fairly, fairly sizable drones when it comes down to warfare. But I did not think that you would see drones that could actually transport people. So there's this E-Hang 184. It's, come, it's out of China. Uh, and I saw, also, Captain, I saw someone just pop off. To the listening audience, if you'd like to join the conversation, remember to press 1. Press 1. If you call in, press 1, because we have a number of listeners that use their phones to listen to us, and they, don't, they may not necessarily want to join in on the conversation. But if you want to join in the conversation, call 646-915-9620. And press one, so that way we will, we know that you want to uh, you want to join the conversation. Anyway, so you have this this um, prototype vehicles now. I'm hearing they are they range in price from two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. So far, they can only house one person, and they look exactly like the drones that you see that you can get from Radio Shack or any of these these these. Um, tech businesses, hobby stores, or what have you. But it's, it's a full, it's, you know, it's a full-size human drone, rotors under the bottom, exactly like 
a drone that's remote control. And I guess in a way it is remote control still because you do not need a pilot's license for this. So again, E-H-A-N-G-184, it's, in China, it's being developed out of China. Uh, we have to see if it makes it to the States because there's regulations, obviously. There's regulations with the little, the little drones that are being disruptive now. The little, the little three-foot, two-foot drones are problematic. So a six-foot or seven-foot in length drone is another issue. But when you see how this thing works, again, you don't need a pilot's license. It, it, it seems to be not that dissimilar from a George Jetson vehicle. And I mean that seriously. You just, you just like you would, just like you would um, program a GPS, and I guess that's essentially what it is. You would program the location in this personal passenger drone. And from my understanding, the charge time isn't that lengthy. But I think they can only remain in in, in flight for around 23 minutes and. It would be for short distance. It's somewhat impressive. I think it's, I don't know, 60 or 70 miles an hour, something to that effect. I, you know, but just the fact that this thing, uh, it has safety measures. It can hover. Uh, the, the gentleman that created this E-Hang cap, he created it because he lost a friend who had one of those, those conventional single-engine planes and was killed from the single-engine plane. The reason why he, he's going the drone route is because, allegedly, the drone route has multi-tier safety measures. And uh, if something were to happen, like I say, one of the rotors, if one of the rotors did go out, it could still be, you could still uh, fly this thing with less than four rotors. And, you know, it could hover in place. What they say, anyway, is that they do have some safety measures that will prevent this thing from just being a, being a complete, a complete just screw up. But um, I must say, I must say, I, I, I'm wondering. Just this seems to be a lot more, a lot, a lot more tangible than the flying car. I mean, this is what I guess essentially this is what it is. I mean, it, I guess you, you could consider it a flying car, but it, it's a drone. But you can fly it without a license, and it's just a matter of, of the, the regulations that have to be dealt with for it to make it to the states. But I, I'd have to see this thing. I got to see how this is going to how this is going to work. And I think it actually has a uh, a a, 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 um, a flight or a, a distance of eleven thousand feet. That's that's how high this thing can 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 hover or fly. So even that's kind of crazy. Eleven thousand feet. What are your thoughts about this? I mean, you you seem to be kind of excited about. It. I mean, I, I, I'm really, I don't know, man. This is this is next level. Cap, can you hear me? Now I can. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, the situation is this: as long as you, you know, it's great. Looks amazing. It's hot looking. It's right now. As long as the safety is there, because y'all remember, how safe can it really be? Let's be honest, because you are flying. And once a lot of these things go up, once they go up in the air on a regular basis, 
it turns into like a car situation. They'll say, well, flying uh. is safer than driving. There's a lot more cars on the road, a lot more people driving than, there are, than they are actually flying on a consistent basis. So then you have to deal with that. That's what we're going to have to deal with. So they're going to also, in my opinion, have to put a limit on how high it can go. And then it might be like a lot of these movies that we see where you have a certain track that they, that they fly in, and then you have one track here, then you have another track here. That would probably make sense. It's the safety with it because you are flying. You are flying at the end of the day. That's all. But I like yeah, it. it. You know, you're dealing with airspace. You're dealing with other other vehicles in the air, helicopters, regular jets. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how this – I don't know the logistics. I mean, listen, the Chinese folk, you know, what they're doing over there, they're, they're willing – obviously they're willing to just do this. You know, they're just they're going with it. Uh, there's always hindrances in the states. Um, I don't know the the fact that we're seeing it in YouTube that this is kind of making the rounds virally. I, I would have a hard time believing that we're not going to see some kind of version of this in the states. But the fact that you don't need a you don't need a uh, a pilot license for this thing that's that's uh, I don't know. I, I'm intrigued. I will say that, but it costs two to three hundred grand. So you're going to have to be a rarefied heir. But you know, the wealthy people. There's a fair share of uh, of people in in New York alone that have that kind of um, they're they're of that pay grade that can explore that kind of thing. So it, it does. It, it is fascinating. All right, listen. Um, when we get back, I want to talk about RZA, Wu Tang frontman. And uh, I appreciate what he said recently. He's a, he's a now he's a, a vegan. He's adopted the, adopted the vegan lifestyle, but he's kind of sort of channeling a little bit of Cosbyism when you when you could do that. And now you know it's 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 even worse. You really can't mention Cosby. But I, I appreciate what RZA of all people has said recently. And as expected, as expected, you have folks that are just. They refuse to deal with, with with the truth of the matter. So when we get back, I want to talk about what RZA said recently, and um, I just couldn't agree anymore. All right, um, moving away from Bowie, and then we get back to Bowie. This is a Bay Area group, California underground, that I've been aware of for a long time, and they're definitely, uh, I would think they would be the the, the sons of Parliament. As far as uh, as far as they as, uh, the kind of music that, that they're doing, but Weapon of Choice, definitely a band that I dig, and this is Soda Pop, Soda Pop, Weapon of Choice. We'll be right back. Let's groove. One, two, three. Oh, oh pop it! Come on, pop it, y'all! You pop that thing. Let me see you pop that thing. Let me see you pop what you got. Come on, let me see you pop what you got. Let me see you 
honey in the limo. They climbed all the way up them charts. But I guess I didn't have that far hard. Lonnie Marshall's band 
weapon of choice. Lonnie Marshall has connections to Parliament and Funkadelic and Red Hot Chili Peppers. And actually, that uh, cut is from the uh, 2002 CD entitled Illuminuti, Illuminuti. And it's on the Fishbone independent level. Fishbones, you know, the, who we also play a lot here. Fishbone had, had an independent label, and of course, uh, this band was on that label. Of course, why not? So, weapon of choice, soda pop. This is always the best. we giving you, why can I speak? Giving you the best of urban alternative groove, black rock, and psychedelic soul. The weekend review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk. Finally got all that out. Six four six nine one five nine six two zero six four six nine one five nine six two zero. I see that Q Storm busy in the chat room, and he says, "I'm thinking of selling my drone. <laughs> I might have to turn down steady work in New York City because of the fines for not having a license." Uh, well, if you're able to have a drone like this, this E Hang one eighty four, got to be a rarefied air. Uh, I like the idea of this thing, but to sit in that little thing. And it'd be flying around 11,000 feet. It, it's, you know, listen, if I had gotten that billion dollar play, and we know we never actually got a chance to speak about that, that Powerball thing, Cap. I think we might have to speak about that for, for a few moments. Uh, you know, a dollar in a dream. Um, you know what? I think did, did the, the captain fall off? Believe it or not, I think the captain has left the building. Uh, let me see. If I can get him back, I don't know if it was uh, intentional. Maybe it had something to do, but live radio, folks. We got about 28, 28 minutes remaining. Please leave your message for seven one eight four one five eight five two nine. Something happened. All right, let's go to uh, another phone call. Um, Cap will come in later. If not, something must have happened. Two oh one. Welcome to the weekend review edition of Afro Nerd featuring Captain Kirk Sorta. What's up? Tell us who you are. Where you're calling from? Hey, D. Red, this is Hugh Storm. How you doing? Pretty good, man. What's up? Well, I hope you don't mind. Uh, I want to step back a little bit. I was listening to that track you were playing, which was funky as hell. Um, and I'm, I'm in the same camp as you. I, I'm ashamed, or maybe that's too harsh a word. I, I'm, I'm despondent that I was unaware how David Bowie repped for black music on MTV and how he oh, yeah. for, I think, black music in general. And what's ironic and maybe I'm generalizing. I don't think I'm wrong with this. What's ironic is that so many of the people who would see that clip, who maybe work in radio, black urban radio in particular, who would say, "Yeah, yeah, how come he's got he's got them right on point? How come that? How come they never let more black artists be on MTV back in the day?" I bet you these are the same people who would never play the type of music that you're playing on your radio show on their radio show. So it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy, a self-fulfilling circle. I find that funny. Well, Q, you know, listen, um, you know, we I'll probably see you obviously tomorrow, and uh, you know, it, it'll be cool to to uh, check out the folks that support us, and and 
you know, we all have kind of a similar spirit, and that's the reason why we, we, we enjoy comic book stuff and we have eclectic, eclectic spirits. But I have to kind of, as I said, I have pangs of how to really express myself, especially live, because, well, I'm live now, but I'm saying live in front of an audience, a live audience, because you have to be careful with certain black folks, uh, Q. I mean, you pretty, pretty much know this, that if you have a certain perspective, we're really not allowed to have variant points of view. And I see what I see. Well, what you just said is, is a reality. It is a reality. It may not be some folks' reality, but it's a reality for someone. And I think we're, we're just suffering right now. The way, the way that things used to be, that we, you and I might have taken matter-of-factly when we were younger, uh, things have just changed and not for the better. As things go on, you would expect things to just get better, and they're not. Um, when Frankie Crocker was on the radio, you could actually hear Queen on black radio stations. You can hear David Bowie on a black radio station. Uh, I don't even know if we're hearing Sam Sam Smith on a black radio. I think we we might, but I mean, you would figure you could. Uh, maybe even vice versa. Maybe some things that are that are black should be on on white radio. But I think we need to start. I mean, just the way this music scene is right now, I'm, I'm completely confused by it. Um, I don't especially see any talent necessarily want to listen to '80s music all the time or early 90s golden age hip-hop. I don't need to hear that constantly. I'd like to hear something challenging. You know, David Bowie challenged me, and it it allowed me to listen to other things. But the way things are now, I mean, uh, there's this viral video that you may be aware of that they're they're, um, talking about. It's been around for a minute. Uh, I think Boyce Watkins, Dr. Boyce Watkins, waxed on about this, this this video of, of a white teacher with black students doing the nene. Did you see this? No, I'm happy to say I missed that one. All right. Well, it, you know, he's able to mimic the dancing, and it's, it's, I guess it's cute, but it's just the music just sucks, man. And I guess maybe it's children's music, but it's something about it. It, just, it, it rings of it rings of Tarzan. You know, <laughs> when we do things, I don't I don't see it as being especially talented. Or, or respectful. It's something missing. So, well, I'm sorry, go I, ahead. I don't know. I, I'd probably rather see that than to see those little kids dancing for Donald Trump in the, in the red, white, and blue uniforms. I got to be honest with you on that. Yeah, I heard about that. I, I, I glanced at it, didn't really take a good look at it, but I'm thinking now that you're mentioning, I'm going to, I'm going to have to look at it. But, um, yeah, I, I just think that we're in bad shape and, and – one of the core things I will bring up tomorrow is I'm pretty sure they're going to talk about this new diversity initiative, and we're seeing, we're, especially in comics now, and some of what and some of what's happening in pop culture. Maybe not what's happening at the Oscars, but what's ha- happening elsewhere. We're start starting to see smatterings of people of color in different forums. That's cool, but there's a there's a double entendre part to diversity. And this, we need to have diversity within black culture. It's one thing to talk about diversity within mainstream culture, but we don't even have diversity in black culture. We're not, we're not hearing all that there is when it comes down to black art and culture. The fact that I, I, I applaud Afropunk so much is that I didn't necessarily like Afropunk in the very beginning, but something kept on pulling me there. And when I actually like sat in and, and, and took a listen, something happened where I started to appreciate the effort, and then the music came later. 
But I, I, I gravitate towards things that challenge me, that there's things that I may not have necessarily liked from the beginning, but I kept on going there for some reason. <laughs> then you start to just like it, and you start, you start to get it. But this, this blurred scene, if it's going to work, and if Black Panther is going to work, all these things we, that we want to see, Vixen is going to be on TV, for Christ's sake. All these things, urban media... Has got to stop. Has has got to stop scratching its head, or their head, I should say, scratching their head in wonderment, because this black this Black Panther thing isn't going to work, unless on some level, unless black people accept it. Can black people even accept the idea of an Afro nerd or a blurred? I don't. I don't even know. We're perceived as weirdos. Well, I, I think this this thing that's happening tomorrow is a good start. I think. Uh... Ariel, and I still don't know the young woman's name, who opened up the comic book shop here in Philly. I think that's a good start. I think we have to, we got to just keep the ground slow growing. But I think between this tomorrow, I think it, it's a, it promises a, a good start. Yeah. Speaking well, of which, what time are you going to get there tomorrow, if I may ask, on air? Uh, definitely before 12. We're going to try our hardest because okay. we're going to be there uh, on, on stage at 245. And I know that uh, Daryl B. especially wants to kind of walk around and maybe uh, indulge. And I would like to indulge oh, wow. in, in some product, you know, because it's going to be, I mean, last year was over, what, 25 vendors or something. So I don't know how many vendors are going to be there. Uh, I definitely want to buy some T-shirts and, and some books and independent books. So, uh, you know, before we're able to get in, get on stage, I want to be able to get some stuff. And I, I'd like to actually be a patron to the festival Besides being a participant in the festival, but um, you know, listen, it's going to be cool, man. It's got, you know, pleasure seeing you again uh, for this thing. But uh, to the listening audience, man, I, you know, listen, this is a black comic book festival, and I, I hope that folks. I will say this, and, and then I'm going to go to I'm going to have to go to another uh, topic. I don't know where the ha- hell the captain went, by the way. <laughs> I think he bought something must have, must have come up, but um, I, I want to see more black people comfortable in going to a black comic book festival. I don't know if other podcasters that seem to be more embedded with white product, I hate to put it that way, but they're more embedded with mainstream white product that I don't think they see the importance of going to a black comic book festival. I think it's more knee-jerk and more natural, as odd as it sounds, more knee-jerk, more natural for black fans to go to a white comic convention than for black fans to go to a black comic convention. I'm starting to pay more attention to other podcasters, and they do a little bit too much fanboyism for mainstream product. And we we talk about mainstream stuff too, but we do try to mix up some of that black-ish. I just think you should. And I'm wondering, with all the black podcasters that are out there, are, are they going to black comic book festivals, and do they... Are they as passionate about it as they would for San Diego and New York or any of, any of the other read pop iterations? I don't know. But that has got to change. I'm tired of going to New York Comic Con, Q, and mentioning the Black Comic Festival, and then you get this look of wonderment. One, they don't, they don't know about the Schomburg, which disturbs me. You know, they, they, what is the oh, Schomburg? Wow. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Black nerds not knowing about the Schomburg. 
I knew, I knew about the Schomburg Center when I was a little kid. I mean, you know, Arturo Schomburg. Who doesn't know about that? They don't know the they don't know who the Schomburg who Schomburg was. They don't know about the Schomburg Center, and they don't. And then they don't know that black people can have combo conventions as well. They're too they're too indebted to Peter Parker. And I love Peter Parker too, but damn, <laughs> you know. Well, you know, we can, have going black on. Comic, we can have black comic book, comic book conventions. Hey, if we wanted to, we could also have black Oscars so we can stop complaining. But I'll tell you what, tomorrow, well, I never heard I never heard back from the Schomburg about bringing my gear, but I want to roll in there with my car full of gear and let the chips fall where they may. I'll see you there oh, tomorrow. You know what? I, I, thought, I thought you had a meeting with them on Monday. Well, I, I did, but um, they didn't bear any fruit immediately because they already have crews hired. For tomorrow's event, but I asked them, hey, let me bring my stuff in. I want to shoot for myself, and I'll give you a free copy of what I put together. And I was waiting to hear back, but didn't hear back. So I'm just going to go up there with my full package and see what happens. Well, you know what? New York Comic Festival, New York Comic Festival, New York Comic Con allows that. They're all over the place. So okay. if, if, they're, if they're to think big, that's what happens at comic book festivals, you know? There's, is, the, YouTube is littered with own imprints videotaping their own their own thing. At well, this is going to be you know, this is going to be streamed live though. But you're but you're I want to shoot what you're involved with, and it's going to be streamed live. So I think there may be some um, proprietary issues or, or permissions from the panel members. I'm not sure. All right. Well, uh, that I did not know. Well. I know that they had something on the New York Public Library website that you, last year they had that, but it was kind of grainy. It wasn't really it wasn't really that good, but I mean it was something. So maybe that's uh-huh. what they're talking about. Uh, I don't know. I don't improved? know. I mean, she wasn't very forthcoming you know, with was, information. Uh, well, you know, I hate to say it. <laughs> Black I, I didn't con. say anything. <laughs> I didn't you say know. it deeper. But I'll see you there tomorrow, brother, and uh, I'll let you know the rest of the show. Definitely, definitely. Appreciate it, Q, as always. All right, folks, listen, uh, again, that's Q Storm from PodcastJuice.net. He's going to be in attendance tomorrow at the Schomburg Center. Uh, So check us out, and it should be interesting. Anyway, I don't know where the hell (laughs) the captain went. Um, You know what? I'm going to play another groove, actually. Uh, there's still more disc- discourse, obviously. Uh, I do want to talk about RZA, but Q mentioned Weapon of Choice. You know what? I, I could easily play another Weapon of Choice joint, but actually, you know, I, listen, I, I have so much music. Um, all right. I'm going to go to another, another groove for about a minute and a half. Then I'm going to talk about RZA. Uh, this is a, actually is a, a classic, but it, it has kind of a timeless feel. This song was covered by a number of people. I believe um, Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye covered this song. Uh, the Fifth Dimension covered this song. It's very much in the vein of psychedelic soul, black rock and roll. Um, Marlena Shaw, California, California Soul. Why can't I speak? California Soul, Marlena Shaw. Give you about two minutes. We'll be right back. Then we'll talk about RZA. Hold on. Let's groove. Thank you. 
are able to dissent without being called stupid. I mean, this whole all-for-one, one-for-all deal, is it's counterproductive. There's no indication that it's actually working. And we are individuals, and you should be able to have your own opinion. So RZA, uh, famously the front man and producer of the the iconic Staten Island rap group, uh, the Wu-Tang Clan, his real name is Robert Fitzgerald Diggs. He was interviewed recently, and he made some allusions to how black men may need to dress better. Now, you know when you say that. Now, this, this knee-jerk reaction to saying that, you know, maybe, we, maybe young black men might want to clean up their acts. Maybe they might want to uh, d- defy stereotypes, and, and it, 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 it rankles certain black people. If you disagree with that, then just say I don't agree. But this whole thing of what he says should demand censure, censure and go away, sit down, it's, it's never a discussion as, okay, what, what do you really mean? Because, listen, black men are dying. Many of us are not winning. I mean, we're just not winning. Some of this is just not working right now. I mean, I, let's go for what works. But this idea of equating proper dress with kowtowing to whiteness, I don't understand. And I've said this many times on the show. Someone has to explain to me, if you speak properly, if you dress in a conservative manner, is that a white thing or is it a thing? It, it, when, this constant need to compare ourselves to white culture is that the case? Can, can we have a standard? And has, has anyone been able to successfully tell me what the black standard is? is? Is there even a black standard? I mean, I know that there is one, but there seems to be efforts in not being able to say that there clearly is a black standard. I don't look at whiteness and white culture as the standard. I think there's just one way. I don't look at it as a white way. But if you keep on positioning things, if, we, if, if, we're, if we're led to go down, go down this belief system that you wear a suit and tie or you dress in a corporate way or you speak in a certain way, and that, that is the exclusive domain to white people, then that means that there's no black – you're kind of saying, or some are saying that there's no – Black standard. So I don't look at I don't look at that as a white standard. It's just a standard. Or as a black person, you could say it's my black standard. But but you never say that. I never hear that being uttered. I hear oh you're just you're speaking white, as if standard English is the do, sole domain of white people. Some of the greatest orators on the face of the of, of the planet historically have been black people, whether it's Malcolm X or Barbara Jordan, politician Barbara Jordan, or uh, I mean, I, I can think of a whole host of people that spoke properly. Paul Robeson comes to mind. Um, Adam Clayton Powell Jr. comes to mind. I mean, there have been a whole host of people of color, black folk, that could, could, that could speak. 
But now, even Barack Obama, dare I say, we should, I should, he's numero uno. But now, it, we've kind of accepted that that just he he's he's channeling white people. I mean, it's absurd. And again, this thought process is it helping us? I'm, I'm on. I guess Sergio will get a kick out of this. Bossup.com. Why, why wouldn't I explain? This is a minstrel headquarters. When they talk about this RZA situation, it's just automatically said RZA isn't backing down from the stupid comments he made about young black men needing to dress better if they didn't want to be victims of police brutality. Okay, so that's a stupid comment. Let me get let me get this straight. His opinion on this is RZA isn't backing down from the stupid comments he made about young black men needing to dress better if they didn't want to be victims of police brutality. First of all, I don't think that's exactly what he said. But what you say and what people interpret are two different things. What he's saying is he believes that the dress, the dress code might have you perceived differently. But I've heard folks make this non, this non sequitur that, oh, well, if you dress better, you know, even, well, even well-dressed people, well-dressed black men are getting killed in the same manner as uh, young black men that are in the street that might be, you know, uh, stereotypically in a certain positioning. So when do we see folks that look black men or black men or black women dressed like Wall Streeters being laid out like Shaquan and Taquan in Brownsville. When, when, do we really, when do we really see that? See, these folks, I hear that consistently. There's a lot of apocryphal things that are said in the black community, and we repeat these things as if they're fact. But there's no indication. When do we actually see well-dressed black people, professional black folks, being hemmed up in the same manner as some of the Chicago youth that we're, that we're seeing uh, running from police, some of those tragedies. But is, is it really going down that way? That's what's problematic for me, folks. Anyway, listen, we've got about two minutes remaining, and it appears that I'm going to have to close shop. We'll be back next week, and we will talk undoubtedly about the Black Comic Festival tomorrow i'm very excited about attending this thing it should be quite interesting uh, a lot of personalities uh definitely bound to express themselves and give you their thoughts so anyway uh lamenting the passing of mr david bowie and of course alan rickman let's go out in one of one last groove by mr bowie this is another big hit niles rogers produced this is less let's dance pardon me let's dance see you next week it's been real